Well, we're closing out this series today called Boot Camp, and uh, I am so excited that a good friend of mine, Steve Spear, is going to be here today. He's with us today, and he's going to help us uh, close this series out. And um, Steve's kind of crazy uh, in a really good way. He'll tell you about that. Um, but I, I just have great admiration for him, for his passion, uh, for his love for God, his love for people. And so I want you to welcome, give him a real-life welcome right now as he comes up to speak to us. Uh, well, it is so good uh, being with you, the Real Life family. Um, was with you about a year ago and want to offer my level of thanks and congratulations, if you will. Uh, you guys are a shining example for people who are moving your feet, literally moving your feet on behalf of vulnerable children worldwide. And 84 of you, as Scott said, moved your feet yesterday for a total distance of six kilometers. Uh, and I just wanted to say thank you on behalf of that. Six kilometers is the average distance that women and children in the developing world walk for water. Uh, most of the time it's contaminated and uh, leads to disease and death. But you changed that for 84 people yesterday. 84 people ran. 84 kids and family members have a whole new future because of you. So uh, in addition to Scott's thanks, I just wanted to say thanks as well. Way to go. Uh, and then not only are you running like running or walking 6K yesterday, but a bunch of you uh, every year say yes to running the Chicago Marathon. Uh, and you're stepping way beyond your fears. You stepped out of your comfort zones. As a matter of fact, over the last three years, uh, your church has led the way right here in northwest Indiana, uh, in the, in the uh, area here, uh, 218 people, just in the last three years alone, 218 people have done the Chicago Marathon with Team World Vision. And uh, you've raised uh, over $211,000 for clean water, which is absolutely amazing. <laughs> I mean, your congregation, I mean, Scott is not only a good friend um, of Team World Vision, of World Vision, but just the way that you, just watching your congregation, this is now my, I think my third time being uh, in your midst, and last year I ran the 6K with you, yesterday I was in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, uh, with a group that are doing the 6K. We had actually, yesterday there was 47,000 people that did the 6K globally. Uh, it was in 800 different host sites, literally around the world. I saw a photo this morning of a couple who did it in Paris. Uh, and uh, they just, they couldn't be in their home in Washington, so they did it on their own in Paris. They had the 6K t-shirt on and everything. It was pretty amazing. But uh, you guys are just a shining example of a church who really wants to take the words of Jesus seriously and how you put your faith into action on so many different levels. So again, you inspire us at World Vision and at Team World Vision, so we're uh, just very, very grateful for you. If you have a Bible, if you want to open it to Matthew 25, uh, we're going to read a few verses from that in just a few moments. But before I kind of jumped into that, I did want to make a confession to you. Some of you have heard this confession of mine before, but my confession is this, I don't have a tattoo. Now, many of you are like going, I don't care. <laughs> like, I really don't care, Steve, that you don't have a tattoo. And it isn't like I have anything against tattoos. My wife has a tattoo. My daughter has one. Uh, some of my best friends have one. Michael Chitwood, who's the guy that founded Team World Vision. Uh, some of you have met Michael. He's got some incredible ink. Uh, on his body, uh, but for me, I don't know, there's, there's just sort of a, a gear in my brain that kind of says I've not done anything big enough to warrant a tattoo, and as some of you may know, uh, five years ago, I ran across the United States, I literally ran from Los Angeles to New York, uh, went through 14 states, uh, all for clean water for kids in Africa, and the first time I said that a phrase out loud when Michael Chitwood was in my midst that I've not done anything big enough to warrant a tattoo, he was like, 
are you nuts? Like, are you crazy? Like, you ran from L.A. to New York. It was 100 and, you know, 150 marathons day after day after day across the United States. You went through, like, 14 states. You went through, like, 10 pair of basic running shoes. You got attacked by wild dogs. You raised over $500,000 for clean water for kids in Africa. He said, Steve, you should have the perimeter of the United States tattooed on your back. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. That just doesn't seem big enough. For, you know, it just, it just, just the way that my weird mind works. But in the last couple of years, I have been thinking about if I were to get a tattoo. Now, my wife really wants me to get one, by the way. Like, she just, she really wants me to get one. Um, but if I were to get one, I think I know where it would go and what it would maybe represent. And I would put it, I think, right here on my wrist. That's, I think that's where I'd put it. And, and it would be something related to Philippians 1.6. It's a book in the New Testament, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And I would call this, I suppose, my life verse, Philippians 1.6. And it says this, and I think we have an image to come up. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. I love this verse. It talks about he, that being God, the God of the universe, the one who made the heavens and the earth, all that we can see, all that we can't see. He began a good work in you. He began a good work in me. He's done this. And the scriptures tell us that that work that he's begun in us, in a lot of ways, is we see that through the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus coming to earth to show us the love of the Father. And that Jesus came to live and to tell us about the love of the Father. He then died on the cross for us. And then God exerted his strength in him by raising him from the dead. And this glorious resurrection power that Jesus... This is his good work that he wants to begin in us, for the, us to make a decision to follow Christ in our life. It's, it's this work that he's begun, and he carries it on to completion. And one of the things I've come to understand is that God completes his work in us uh, through people and circumstances. God allows people and circumstances to come into our lives that will complete his work in us. And some of the circumstances and the people that come into our lives are very welcome, and sometimes the circumstances that come into our lives are not welcome. But they all have this ability to complete his work in our lives. It's just the way that he does this. And I love the fact that you've been doing this series of boot camp where you've been exploring practices that would complete God's work in your life as well. And as Scott was telling me about some of the practices that you've uncovered and been learning about as a church, I'm going, man, this is so very exciting. I know uh, one of the weeks he's talked about the, the engagement with scripture. How scripture memory or reflecting on scripture. This has been one of the practices that people of faith have been doing, obviously, since the scriptures were handed down. That we would embed it in our hearts. That it would be kind of really become a part of our psyche and a part of our, our, our hard wiring, if you will. And I'm, I've always been a big proponent for myself and for others to engage with scripture. To have regular times during the day where you're engaging with scripture, whether it's in the morning or in the evenings. And I love how you've been talking a little bit here at Real Life about how you can even reflect on it or perhaps even memorize scripture. I know when I first started getting serious about my faith in my early 20s, after I'd surrendered my life to the Lord, I was attending a church and the church was in, engaging us about being very serious about practicing scripture and, and memorizing it and to memorize a verse or verses of scripture, these kinds of things. And then one of the pastors went kind of bold and crazy and, and he said, I think some of you should memorize a whole book of the Bible. And when he said that, I was like, man, that's nuts. I mean, who, you know, like who would like memorize a book of the Bible? And then I felt God calling me to, to maybe do exactly that. So I, I kind of went out on a limb 
And I just did it by myself. And I, I said, I think I'm going to memorize the book of Philippians. I think I'm supposed to do this. And so I told a few people, and they thought I was a little nuts, but I just started doing it over my lunch break. I was working at a bank at the time in Florida where I was living. And I, and I, I actually still have the Bible that I use to kind of memorize the book of Philippians. And I'm a big fan of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I just love PB&Js. And so um, uh, that Bible I pulled out not long ago, and I looked in the bindings of the book of Philippians, and I can still see breadcrumbs in the binding of the book of Philippians because I spent several months just using it, just day after day, just memorizing a portion of that. Now, uh, don't ask me after the service to like give you the whole book. I can, I can still give you big chunks, but I can't do it like verbatim, the whole book. But it's still pretty much there. Doing that completed something in my life, friends. Study, re- memorizing that path, it did something. It completed some, the work of God. That's what he does when we, again, circumstances or practices complete the work that God begins in our lives. And he did that. And that's just been a practice that I've been a part of all my adult Christian life. Um, Romans chapter 12, a few years ago, I felt like I was supposed to kind of maybe memorize that. Uh, I, uh, several years ago, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, I felt like I was supposed to memorize that. So that became a part of who I am. At the close of last year, 2017, I just said, Lord, where do you want to go next? You know? And so he, for what, he led me to Psalm chapter 19. It's a great psalm. And so I've been spending the better part of this first part of the year memorizing uh, Psalm chapter 19. And just allowing it to become a part of my psyche. And the first part of that psalm talks about creation and how it speaks to us, to who God is. The middle part of that psalm talks about the Bible, uh, the teachings, the laws of the Lord and how they revive our soul. And then the very last part has a couple of verses that have really been helpful to me. Um, it says, uh, that the psalmist says, uh, forgive, uh, forgive my um, hidden faults and keep me from willful sins that they wouldn't rule over me. Forgive my hidden faults and keep me from willful sins that they would not rule over me. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a sinner. I'm a really bad sinner. And I need, I love that passage where it says, keep me from willful sins. I've been praying that a lot. God, keep me from willful sins. I don't want them to rule over me. And uh, again, I, I, can, I can check off, I can write a whole list of sins over the last week in my life. But just having that verse, though, in my mind has kept me, just literally in the last three days, I've been, I'd flirted with a couple sinful things. And then that verse came back to me, keep me from willful sins that they wouldn't rule over me. Again, that's what memorizing, engaging scripture does for us. It completes a work in us, a practice that is just so good for our souls. And I love how God does that. You've been, you talked about the rule of life uh, last week, something that would kind of just keep uh, things connected together, practices that would get, keep them connected together. This verse, Philippians 1, 6, has been for me a rule of life. It just, it's always on my mind. It kind of keeps me focused and this is what rules of life tend to do for us. Things that can keep our disciplines lined up. I'd mentioned the earlier service, when my kids were smaller, I had a rule of life when it came to how I would engage as a husband and a dad when I would get home at the end of a work day. And uh, near our home, we had a stop sign. And I had this practice when I would drive by that stop sign on my way home from work, I would take off my work hat and I would figuratively put my, I would like literally do this. I would kind of take my hat off like, and then I'd place it on that stop sign. And then I would pick up my dad and husband hat and I would put it on. So then when I got home, I would be more present as a dad and a husband with my kids and my wife. And then the next morning when I would leave, I'd take my 
dad hat off and, and put, you know, put, put on that stop sign and pick up my work hat. That helped me. It wasn't a perfect thing, but it helped me kind of keep things straight in my mind. And it's those kinds of things that help us uh, as we see the completing work of Christ in us. Well, there's been another thing that has been, um, God has been leading me to more understand of how he completes his work in us. And it's, it's he completes his work in us uh, when we meet the needs of the poor. When we see people around us who are in need and we have an active participation in meeting the needs of the poor, something about that completes God's work in us. There's a practice that we do as often as we do it, that God will complete something that he otherwise wouldn't have been able to do. You see, that's what spiritual practices are. Spiritual practices are something that you do that you wouldn't maybe normally do, but in the doing of them, it gives God space to work in your life. So when you say, if you've never been memorizing scripture before, and now you say, I'm going to memorize scripture, well, then God's going to do something in your life as a result of it. He's just going to open something up. He just, it's just the way that it works. So I believe as we care for the needs of the poor, this is this final installment in boot camp, as we care for the needs of the poor, God will complete something in your life. He will complete that work. In Matthew 25, I just want to read a few of these verses. Uh, this may be a familiar passage to some of you, but this is Jesus talking to his disciples not long before uh, he would have been crucified. And he said simply this in verse 35, For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothed you? We, when did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. You see, this passage is a passage that Jesus is simply saying to us, when you have gotten up close and personal to the needs of other people in your life, you've done it unto me. You've been a brother or a sister to me when you've gotten up close and personal to the needs of others. You see, I believe that God completes his work even further in us when we care for the needs of others. Uh, last uh, fall in the month of November, uh, you as Real Life, along with some other churches here in the Chicago area, did what we call the Matthew 25 Challenge. Some of you were here, some of you participated in what was called the Matthew 25 Challenge. And it's when you took a course of a week and you opted in uh, to say, I'm going to do a few practices that will maybe help complete some of the work of God in my life and identify with the needs of the poor. Uh, for the first day of that, by the I'm just kind of curious, how many, I know a bunch of you guys did, how many of you uh, did the Matthew 25 challenge last, last November? Yeah, quite a few. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was quite a moving experience. Uh, on the first day of the Matthew 25 challenge on Monday, you went without a noon meal. You just, I'm going to fast for one meal. And it's a, when you fast for a meal, and if you've not fasted before, I mean, it can rock your world a little bit. I've experimented with different forms of fasting. And man, fasting does something because, again, when you fast from something, you're doing something that you, not, you don't normally do in order to give God space to do something in your life. Whether it's for a meal or a day or multiple days or whatever it is, 
God uses it to create space for him to complete his work in you. But you fasted for a noon meal. And you identified with people all over the world who don't have food to eat. Then on Tuesday of that Matthew 25 challenge, you went without, you only drank water. No coffee, no pop. And, and that's, a, that's a big deal. When you're a big coffee drinker, like I know I am not having coffee for a day. Okay, that, that registered with my brain. It allowed me to even get a little bit closer to these words of Jesus from Matthew 25. I was able to personally experience, to get up close and personal with those who don't have access to clean water. Then on, on Wednesday, we, if you remember this, we slept on the floor to identify with refugees for those who don't have a home, who have been displaced from their homes. Now, when you're like eight or nine years old, sleeping on the floor is like, you know, no big deal. I mean, every, every eight or, everybody likes to have a camp out, like in mom and dad's room. I mean, sleeping out in a sleeping bag on the floor, it's a lot of fun. But when you're 54 years old, I mean, I'm talking like zero fun. I mean, that was probably one of the most transformative practices for me. Because it did something in me. It just wasn't normal. And I didn't sleep good. I slept awful. But it helped me to identify. God used that to complete something in me. The following day, you wore the same clothes on Thursday than you did on Wednesday. To kind of get this idea. Wait a second, man. I have the privilege of having several sets of clothes. But getting this, again, all of the practices that happened through that Matthew 25 challenge, they were all for one purpose. They, they, the bottom line of those experiences were to help us, and even as I've just described them to some of you, you maybe didn't do the Matthew 25 challenge, but even as I've been saying these things, you're kind of going, you know what, I might need to do one of these. I mean, literally, why not, why not even consider tomorrow going without the noon meal? Going without a noon meal tomorrow, or maybe on Tuesday saying, you know what, I'm just going to drink water only. Uh, these kinds of, they help, these are practices that help us to get closer to the needs of others, but God also completes something in our lives as well. Because I'm very convinced that God will meet a need in your life when you do this, and he will meet the need in someone else's life as well, those who are seeking to reach out to. Uh, some of you know that I ran my first ever marathon in 2007 with Team World Vision. It was something I had no desire to do. I hated running. I wanted no parts of running. But I felt God calling me to get up close and personal to the needs of others, uh, specifically those without clean water. And God did something in, in me as a result of that first year. The following year, in 2008, I invited the, the congregation that I pastored, I invited them to run, much like Scott has done it year after year here at Real Life. And, and we had people who said yes to running a marathon who had no business running a marathon, which is who Team World Vision is. 80% of those who run with us have never even run a 5K before. But why did they do it? Because they felt God calling them to get up close and personal to the needs of others, to have a role in the life of someone else, to reach out. And that group of 50 people raised $65,000 uh, that very first year in 2008. But more importantly, God completed something in them that wouldn't have otherwise been possible apart from them saying yes to that practice or yes to that opportunity to run a marathon. Uh, two years after that, in, in 2010, uh, God called me again to go way out of my comfort zone, and I signed up uh, with some friends from Team World Vision to do the 56-mile Comrades Ultra Marathon in South Africa. Yes, you heard me right, 56 miles uh, in South Africa. Uh, it was 18,000 feet of aggregate elevation change, this run in South Africa. 
Well, the goal was not just to run this race or to crawl it or to walk it or whatever, but it was also to see if, if I as a participant could see if I could get 100 people to sponsor a child through World Vision. 100 people that would say, I want to make a difference in the life of a child. I want to get up close and personal to the life of a child in Africa. It would mean a monthly commitment from my family, $39 a month, a monthly commitment from my family to make not only clean water, but health care, education, uh, you know, economic possibilities, all of that possible in the life of a child. And so my goal was to run the race and to get 100 people to say yes to sponsor a child. So I uh, did the training and uh, all these kinds of things. The day of the race was a pretty in interesting race. I had some good parts and some down parts in the day. There was one point though at mile 48 of that 56 mile race where I really thought I was completely done. I had had some stomach issues over the course of the race. Um, and that stomach issue had expressed itself in some ways I won't describe publicly. And I was just out of tank, out of gas, and I just felt like I was ready to quit. At mile 48, I was ready to quit. And I get to the top of the hill, and I just said, I get to the top of the hill, okay, that's where I'm going to quit because I'm just not going to finish this thing. So I go off on the side of the road. I'm sitting in the grass, just kind of with my head down, pretty dejected, pretty bummed. Uh, I'm not, don't consider myself much of a quitter, but I thought, I'm done. I'm not, I'll just figure, I'll wait for the the sag wagon to come in and get me. And as I'm sitting there with my head down, I hear this voice, and it's coming from the road, and the voice simply says, hey you, get up. And I'm sitting there, I'm going, I, I'm dreaming, and I hear it again, hey you, you over there, get up. And then I look up, and here's this uh, gentleman that's older than I am on the road, he's a runner, and he just points at me, he says, hey, get up, get up. You're not going to finish that race sitting there in the grass. Come on, get up. And I'm thinking, Buzz off, buddy. Like, I want no part of your encouragement right here. And then he goes, and then he says, the reason you said yes to doing this race is not going to get completed if you're sitting there. I'm thinking, what are you, a prophet? I don't need this. He said, come on, get up, finish. And so I thought, he was my elder, so I thought I was taught to respect my elder. So I, all right, so I got up, and I got over there, and I got on the road with him. He said, come on, run with me. Let's run together. And so I'm like, all right, you know, I'm not having any part of this, but I'm going, I'm doing this. So I got my feet moving again. We did like a half mile, then three quarters of a mile. And then he goes, okay, you're better now. You're going to actually finish better than I will. I'm going to drop back. I'm like, oh, man, you totally bait and switched me here. I will never forget that moment. Why? That guy got up close and personal to me. He called me out. He encouraged me. He came alongside me. And I actually realized, wow, man, God, you, you, this whole vision was for me to get up close and personal to the needs of others by having people become a child sponsor. Well, you just flipped this and you just ministered to me through a guy that I may never meet again. And it just spoke to me, this is the kind of thing when we reach out and meet the needs of others that God does com complete something in us. I'm, I did actually finish the last, you know, seven or eight miles of that race and 125 kids did get sponsored, uh, you know, through that event. But I was more thrown back by this continual working that God does. Well, about a year after that, God called me beyond my biggest fears to run across the United States. Uh, man, and that was, that was a whole nother level of saying, getting up close and personal uh, to thousands uh, without clean water. And the interesting thing, though, in the journey of running across the United States or preparing to run across the United States was who God wanted to bring up close and personal to my life to make that happen. He brought an unsuspecting person into my life 
that got up close and personal with me yet again. They actually became the inspiration uh, for the U.S. run. And I want to show you a video right now. And as you watch this video, I want you to pay attention for the person you think got up close and personal to me. In 2007, I got roped into running my first marathon. I hate running. I only had four goals. To hate running less each time I ran, to train well enough to make it to the starting line, wanted to finish before they closed the course, and I wanted to raise $1,000 for clean water in Africa. I completed the marathon, and that was five years ago. So when people ask me, so why are you running a marathon this morning? Why are you running one tomorrow and one the day after that? Well, I tell them that I still want to hate running less each time I run, but this time it's different. I want to raise $1.5 million for clean water in Africa. And to do that by running 120 marathons from L.A. to New York so that 30,000 people in Kenya can have clean drinking water for life. So how did I go from running one marathon to now running across the entire length of America? It's definitely been a process. I started running about 30 miles each week. Now sometimes I'm running close to 130 miles per week, equal to that of elite runners. And there's definitely been some great training days in this, and there have been some ugly ones as well. The worst training day consisted of an 18-mile run in the morning, eight miles in the evening, and on that evening, when I was running that eight-miler, I feel for the first time I was running for water. I feel like I got a glimpse of what it must feel like for one billion people who don't have access to clean water. Children like our World Vision sponsored child, Winnie, she, like millions of other women and girls, travels six miles for water every single day. And you can't tell me that that's okay. I felt that on top of the physical and the emotional value that training provides in a person's life, for me, it was a personal calling. So I started with one marathon, and that one soon turned into three, and three to five, five into 30. Then there were some ultra marathons. I was gradually running more and more miles, and as the number of miles increased, so did the number of lives that were being affected. There are a billion people on the planet that don't have access to clean water. All they know is what it feels like to walk one mile after the next, one day after the next, every single day. So when people say, why are you running 120 marathons across America? My hope is to take some of the miles from winning and 30,000 people just like her and to bring them clean water instead. So uh, can you take a guess? Who was it that inspired me? Who got up close and personal to me? Winnie, our sponsored child. Uh, she is the person uh, that really got up close and personal to me. And this next image shows the, 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 the first time that I actually met Winnie. We met at her home. Then we walked, as you saw in that video footage, we walked the water walk. We got to the pond uh, where Winnie draws her water from every day. Uh, and I noticed that this pond of water, I could tell the moment I saw it was contaminated. I could just tell. Uh, then I asked Winnie's mom where they washed, what clothes they have, and they washed them right there. I asked her mom, Justina, where they bathed, and they, it was right there. This pond of water, I could see, it had a livestock that were drinking in, around the perimeter, and they were relieving themselves, this livestock were. That's, this is their water source. 
And then I filled up the container and I carried it back. It was 50 pounds. Some of you guys did this on a 6K yesterday. I noticed one of the guys carried one for like the whole 6K. Uh, when, when I carried, so it's a five gallon container weighs 50 pounds. Think of an old school microwave full of water. I carried that a mile back to Winnie's house, knowing the water that was in that container would kill half the kids under the age of five in Winnie's village. And it was on that mile back that something broke inside of me. And, and so I got, I mean, I got up close and personal in a very real way on that one mile journey back. But it was Winnie and her undying optimism and resiliency that inspired me. It was Winnie who came up close and personal to me. And that's why there was a relationship that was forming between a, a child sponsor, you know, and a child. And God was using that to complete something in me. And it was very powerful. And it was something that, you know, I give God great thanks for. Then um, last year, about this time, we began thinking at Team World Vision, what would it be like if we could bring a sponsored child from, the, from Africa to the United States and have people meet them? Because it's one thing, here's the deal, I bet, like if we did a poll, every person in here, after listening to me and after having been a part of the Real Life family, you know that there's a need in our world for clean water. You know this to be true. And you've gotten up close and personal to that. And many of you have run or walked or these kinds of things. We know the statistics about how it will, as I said a moment ago, hit, kill half the kids under the age of five. More people die for the lack of clean water than AIDS and malaria combined, than all the wars combined. But the problem is we just don't know somebody personally. We just don't know anybody that actually has to walk for water. And I think that's one of the things that I love about, again, uh, what I love about just child sponsorship. It, again, there's nothing magical about child sponsorship, but it just puts you in close proximity with somebody that you wouldn't otherwise be in close proximity with. And that's what happened. So we thought, what if we could bring Winnie or maybe some other kids from World Vision from the field to the United States so you could meet them? And what was really cool is last November, you as a real-life family, if you were here that Sunday, you had a chance to meet one of our World Vision-sponsored children. And they came here. Uh, what was really cool is, my, is Winnie came. She was one of the ten children that came. And this next image is uh, Winnie. When she hung out, she was here for two weeks. Uh, she's now 12. And this is her mom, Justina. And I had a chance for two weeks. We spoke at several different churches around the Midwest. And Winnie now has access to clean water in their village. Winnie's in school. Uh, her daughter's, her, her daughter, her, her older sister, Millicent, is in secondary school. Her mom, Justina, has become like a master gardener. And man, I, I wish she, I mean, if they come back here and they come in the summertime, we're going to go out to your guys' garden. Because she would be so pumped. Justina has become this master gardener. But what happened is that the provision of clean water just changed the whole landscape. We had some fun while they hung out. Um, this next image, we, one of the churches we spoke at was in St. Louis. So we went to the St. Louis Arch. We made some funny faces. This is, this is a picture of just me making a funny face. Um, and then this next one, just uh, next picture shows, um, you know, when we would speak at churches, much like uh, if you were here last year in November, uh, we would uh, just talk about how uh, the provision of clean water and the churches coming together in the community and World Vision's work, how it's changed the fabric of a community. Why? Because tons of people get up close and personal by sponsoring children in communities and then healthcare. So I would ask questions to Winnie. This next image uh, shows Winnie. Once we gave the mic to Winnie, man, she was off the races. What was really cool is as we were driving, we put on tons and tons of miles traveling those two weeks in the car. Winnie was teaching me songs. She was teaching me songs in Swahili. 
about Jesus, and, and we were learning together, and it was pretty awesome. Uh, then, well, I'd hand, then hand the microphone. I think the next image shows, uh, I don't can't remember if I showed one, of the next one shows Justina. Uh, oh, oh, this, oh, this, I didn't even actually show this picture in the last service. Uh, when this thing got really real was when Winnie was showing pictures of her family to my two kids, Zach and Chelsea, around our dinner table. When this got up close and personal to a whole new level, I had a chance to go, wait a second, these are real children with real lives, with real dreams, with real brothers and sisters. And when I saw their, her brothers and sisters getting to know my kids, I mean, this kind of cemented in something. And the day that I took this picture, God completed something. He just completed this work that he's wanting to do in us. And it's super, super powerful. So I just want to close by asking you a question. What is it that God wants to complete in your life? How is it that he wants to use you, getting up close and personal to the needs of the poor, to the needs of others around you, what is it that he wants to complete in you? And what might you do? What might be the step that you take? And you as a church are already doing amazing things. It really is. Scott was telling me earlier about this Tuesday, you're the host site for the food bank. You know, you've been collecting supplies, buying and collecting supplies, uh, all, you know, the last couple of weeks leading up to what's happening. And when you would buy a bottle of shampoo, you're just, you weren't just buying a bottle of shampoo or whatever you've done. You did, something got completed in you when you do that. For the, you got up close and personal. And that's what I was telling me about what happens every August. I mean, you guys do so many things, but in August when you have the back-to-school fair with haircuts and backpacks that get filled, what you're doing as a congregation, I, I learned even more about, the, again, the garden that you have out here and how it meets the needs of people here in your community. Locally, you guys, you're doing so many amazing things. And God might be calling you, even yet this morning, to take a step beyond what you might be doing now, to take a step into this and find out locally how you can partner with some of the ministries here at Real Life. Globally, uh, I again want to high five you for running, for walking, for doing what you're doing. I, I do want to just encourage you if you've not yet uh, considered sponsoring a child, I'd love for you to consider sponsoring a child. Tons of you do already. Uh, last year when we were here for the 6K, many of you said yes to sponsoring a child. Uh, last year when the, chi uh, the child was here from Africa, many of you stepped up and said yes to that. But if you don't sponsor a child, man, I totally want to invite you to do this. It is you know, of the it is, it's the best $39 a month my wife and I spend. Uh, it just, we know when our child sponsorship dollars gets pooled together with other child sponsors from that community, the whole community changes. It's the community development model of World Vision. And so um, afterwards, matter of fact, on your commitment, or not your commitment card, your connect card, if you just, if you're going, you know what, as Steve's been talking about this, and, and again, this isn't for everybody all the time, and some of you have one child already that you sponsor, and God might be calling you to open your heart to yet another child. I've got a buddy who sponsored, he, he and his wife sponsor 15 children. Uh, that continues to just be an inspiration to me. Uh, but it could be there's room in your family for yet another sponsored child. But I do guarantee you, something will get completed in you as a result. But if you want to sponsor a child, I'm going to be out at our table, which is going to be right out in the hallway there. And all you need to do is we have children that are in Africa, uh, in Haiti, in Honduras. Uh, and you can tell us like boy or girl and maybe what age, that kind of thing. And you're just going to write the word sponsor. You can even do this now. You just write the word sponsor on your connect card. Put your name and your email and any details. Uh, you're going to hand that to me and we'll connect you this week uh, with a child that you can sponsor. And it will just kind of radically shift and change uh, something in your heart and in your life. 
Um, I'll close with a story and then pray. Uh, uh, I, this past week, my mother-in-law, uh, she lives in Ohio. She fell. Uh, I didn't tell this at the first service. Um, she fell and broke her hip. Uh, she was on her floor for two days. And uh, we didn't, because of our communication patterns, we don't check in. We check on her almost every day, but we didn't for two days. And we found out that she had fallen. Uh, my mother-in-law lives, uh, she's, um, lives by herself. My father-in-law passed several years ago. She lives in her own little fortress at her home. She keeps everything locked up. She's very safe, which is really good. But we knew that the police were going to have to break two windows and kick down a door to get in, just because we know how she keeps her home. And so uh, they had to do that when we couldn't get a hold of her for the second day. We didn't think much of it the first day because she goes out some. They did have to break two windows and kick down a door. And she was lying on the floor. She was conscious, which was good, but she had fallen and broken her hip. And so this last week, we've been with her in Ohio. And in the hospital uh, foyer, there's a big, giant picture of Mother Teresa. And it had some words from Mother Teresa. And it reminded me, seeing Mother Teresa's image reminded me of... Uh, a story that was done shortly before she died. Of course, Mother Teresa served as a nun. One of the sisters uh, led the work of the leper community in Calcutta, India. Overwhelming needs that she was up against all the time. And this reporter asked her uh, one time, he said, Mother Teresa, in the midst of the overwhelming needs that you're serving in, um, how do you ever expect to be successful? And Mother Teresa paused and looked back at this young reporter and she said, oh, God has never called me to be successful. He's called me to be faithful. And that's what God calls us to do, friends. He calls us to be faithful. Faithful to get up close and personal to the needs of others. Faithful to God to open ourselves up for what he might want to do to complete his work in us. He just wants us to be faithful. And uh, God, I thank you for the community here at Real Life. God, I thank you for Scott. I thank you for the vision of this church uh, to want to meet needs, to explore and show to people who Jesus Christ is and his love. And God, I pray even right now that if there's somebody here this morning that doesn't know you, they've not yet said yes to you with their lives, that today would be their day. Today would be the day they finally surrender their life to you and hold on to your hand and they recognize that you chose to get up close and personal to them through your death on the cross. And that they would then get up close and personal to you. And God, I pray that you'd continue to motivate <clears throat> and further inspire this congregation to get up close and personal to the needs of people around them. And I know they're doing it in spades. But God, continue to birth dreams and visions and ideas. God, that will really be pace-setting ideas for the rest of this region. God, that you would reclaim and do something so powerful because a bunch of people attending a church on Swanson Road said yes. God, work in this congregation. Continue to work in powerful ways, we pray. And God, for those of us that sense that the next step is to sponsor a child, that we would follow you in that and be obedient. We love you. And we ask this prayer by faith in Christ's name. Amen. 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 I want to invite you to stand with me. I always leave you with a blessing. Uh, on my fridge, on our fridge, in our kitchen, every morning when I go there, there's a picture of Sentu. Uh, Sentu is a boy that we sponsor, our family sponsors. We've sponsored a, a child through World Vision for uh, well over two decades. And I would, I, would, I would invite you to move beyond cynicism to hope and compassionate action. I, I hope that you would do that. I've had the privilege of going with World Vision to Kenya and seeing the work in the remotest places in Kenya 
and walking in, in uh, if I could describe it for you in detail, I would, but it's a long story. But in the middle of nowhere, walking in and seeing a list of all of the number of kids that they're sponsoring and seeing the, the wells that they're building and how, and World Vision is just an expert at what they do and, and uh, you can trust that what they do is great with what you give. Move to hope and compassionate action in the name of Jesus. Receive this blessing as you go, okay? You're sent now to love God, to love people, to serve the world, the, the, the needs and the vulnerable people around you and the needs and the vulnerable people around the globe in Jesus' name. Hug someone, tell them you love them. See ya.